Good morning, everybody. Uh, I really wish in preaching class at uni they um, taught us how to put one of these mics on. I apologize if you witnessed me trying to do that. It took a, the whole reading. This morning we are finishing our series we've been going through in John. Uh, we've been going through uh, all seven signs. Uh, and we get to this final one of Jesus raising Lazarus. Uh, if you were here uh, back at the start or, or here the way through, uh, we'll have been reminded about what these signs are here to point us towards. Uh, it's what John summarizes in chapter 20, verse 31. He says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And these signs in this story is all to point us towards that. Who else but Christ, the Son of God, could have done all these things? And where else could somebody find life than in his name? As we get to this final one in John 11, John's really hoping we've got it by this point. But in case we haven't got that, he makes it so clear for us. Whenever we have Easter back at my family home, uh, I, along with my other grown-up siblings, between 21 and 30, partake in an Easter egg hunt around the house in the garden. Uh, so my mum goes and hides eggs, and we race around to find them. Now, by this stage, we're pretty good at it. Uh, we've been doing this a lot of years. We know where most of them are going to be hidden, so we go around, we find them all, no problem. Uh, but back in the day, whenever we were the correct age to do Easter egg hunts, we weren't quite as good and there'd often be a couple left over. And when we had exhausted looking for them, uh, our mum would have to uh, come into the room and she'd just, you know, give a, a cheeky little nod to one side, or she'd, um, she'd go and stand close to where one was. She'd give us all the hints we need to finally get where these things are. But even then, sometimes, we just still wouldn't get them. And so just say, it's in the top of the lamp, and we'd race to the top of the lamp to find it. John's reached that stage as he gets to this sign. If we haven't got it already, he makes it so clear for us that Jesus, the one who this is talking about, is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing in him, we have life in his name. Now we see at verse 25, it says clearly, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And a couple of verses later, Martha says, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. It's all there for us. Now, these passages that we're, we're looking at and that Amma read are two passages within the whole chapter of John 11. Um, but there, there's more that we won't be able to touch on that happens in the passage. Uh, so to catch us up to verse 17, uh, which is what Amma read... Uh, before verse 17, uh, we have Jesus with his disciples. A messenger comes from Mary and Martha to tell him that he whom he loves, which is Lazarus, is sick. Uh, Jesus uh, did not then rush to go and see Lazarus, um, but only came to Bethany where they were and to the tomb after Lazarus had been dead four days. And that's where we get into the start of the passages that Amma read for us. So the first passage, 17 to 27, uh, recalls a conversation that Jesus has with Martha. And the second records the actual miracle happening itself. So the first one, that conversation, 17 to 27. Uh, to really understand 
this conversation between Martha and Jesus. Uh, we want to get to understand what it is that Martha actually believes about death, about resurrection, about the afterlife. Uh, so at this point in Jewish history, the prominent belief is in a bodily resurrection. Uh, that certainly hasn't always been the case. Um, most of the way through the Old Testament, we see very little mention of an afterlife worth going to. Um, but at this point, uh, led by the, the Pharisees, the Pharisees believed in a bodily resurrection. And so Martha probably did too. But there were quite a few Jews who the idea of the body being resurrected, that was completely foreign and they wouldn't believe in that. Uh, so the Sadducees, a kind of more political and religious part of the Jews, they completely denied the idea of a bodily resurrection. But at this stage, it's, it's probable that most Jews will have believed at some stage the body will be resurrected. But their idea of it will still be different to what we have today. So they believe that after death, after three days, after the body has died, the soul will leave the body. And from there, the soul exists independently until the last day, and then on the last day that, Mary talks about, that Martha talks about, it will return to the body that it was once a part of. And on that last day, as the soul and the body are reunited, then there'll be a resurrection. So when we read that Jesus came after Lazarus had been in the tomb four days, it's not just an added little bit of detail to help us place the story in time. But what John is wanting to get across is that Lazarus is as dead as can be. That at this stage, they believe that his soul, the soul that would be considered so precious, has separated from him. There's nothing remotely alive about Lazarus at this point. And their hope in the bodily resurrection of the last day was pretty different to, to a lot of the belief systems around at the time. Uh, so the Greeks believed in the immortality of the soul, uh, that, there would be, uh, that the soul would exist forever because that's what a soul does. Uh, but the Jews believed something quite different. They believed that the only hope in the last day, in the resurrection, in eternal life, was found in God. Uh, one theologian put it like this. Resurrection does not depend upon the inherent properties of the soul, but rather upon the God who raises the dead, who actively bestows life once again after it has fully ceased. So Martha approached the death of her brother and a meeting Jesus like this. Lazarus is dead and his soul has departed him. His soul will return to him and he will be resurrected on the last day. And on that last day, God, the only one who in his sovereignty, righteousness, faithfulness, and goodness will raise him, body and soul, to eternal life. And into the mix of these beliefs, we want to throw in what she believes about Jesus. And now across the passage, we can see that she thinks a great deal of Jesus. But it's a little unclear just how, uh, how powerful she thinks he is. So in verse 21, she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Her faith in him doesn't quite come to the extent that she believes that an absent Jesus 
had the same amount of power as a present Jesus. One of the signs we looked at earlier was Jesus healing the official's son. Jesus never got close to the official's son. He was far away. Yet Jesus healed him with a word. And we're not entirely sure who she thinks Jesus is. Yes, we get her claim in verse 27 that she thinks he's the Christ, the Son of God. But we don't really get the sense that she expects Christ, the Son of God, to raise Lazarus instantly. In verse 39, she reminds Jesus that by this stage, Lazarus is pretty dead and pretty smelly, and so there's no point in seeing him. And so with her imperfect faith in Jesus, her beliefs in death and resurrection and afterlife, with those in mind, we come to understand just how significant Jesus' statement in verse 25 is. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Now, in English, like it sounds a little clunky to say, I am the resurrection. Um, I've never seen it, but the Terminator doesn't say, I am the termination. He says, I am the Terminator, I think. Jesus is, what he's saying is he is the one who gives resurrection. He is the one who gives life. And as we remember about what Martha believed about resurrection, that it is only because of God and who God is that resurrection happens. What Jesus is saying to her in these is, I am that God before you. Martha, who had been placing her hope in God alone to resurrect Lazarus on the last day, is standing before that very God right in her midst. And that God has come to resurrect Lazarus that same day. Jesus is saying to Martha, the one in whom you hope is me. I am the only one to hope in for life, for resurrection. As we hear that statement and read this story, if we were to do that in isolation from the rest of John or from the rest of the Bible, we'd fall into a pretty big danger. We might take this and, and then wanna, want to hope that Jesus being the resurrection and the life means Jesus will raise everyone who dies instantly. If we just look at this alone, we might come away thinking that. But Jesus doesn't make this claim for us to believe that it's normal for him to just raise everyone instantly. Jesus encountered a lot of people in his time on earth that he did not resurrect or heal. He died beside two dying people and did nothing to free them from that. This statement does call us to trust that Jesus can resurrect people from the dead back to earthly life. But the main point of this claim is to make our hope a specific hope. Not our hope generally in our God or an afterlife. Or our hope that um, because we maybe have been good enough, that after we die, something good will happen. 
Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life because he is the only one that we could place our hope in for eternal life. Across the UK, and it probably maps out to the rest of the world, far more people believe in an afterlife than believe in God. Now, many people wouldn't be able to write succinctly what it is they believe about an afterlife. But they'll say that they believe in something, whether or not they believe in God. And other religions will promise a good afterlife based on our earthly performance. If we've been good enough, then we'll get to go to a good place. Or if we've been good enough, we'll get to be reincarnated as a cool person. But in Jesus Christ, we don't have to place our hope in something vague. We get a certain place and a certain person to put our hope in. Our hope for life after death can be confidently and assuredly placed solely in Jesus. We don't have to go through life or go through death or go through the death of another wondering whether that person or we will be good enough to make it. We get to know and trust that Jesus raises those to eternal life who trust in him. So back in March, my grandpa died unexpectedly. Uh, and we, I traveled home for the funeral. And throughout the whole funeral, amidst all the crying uh, and the sadness and the time together and the readings and the singing and the service, across all of that, there was a really deep and profound sense of hope. My grandpa trusted in Jesus. And so as we mourned, we knew at the same time that from trusting in Jesus, grandpa would have eternal life. And I knew that I would get to see him again. That death would not be the end. I did not have to wonder whether my grandpa had been good enough his whole life. I did not have to hope that he would have ticked enough boxes, that he would have got lucky enough to, to wrangle away into some kind of nice afterlife. But we could say and sing that death is defeated by Jesus. We could hold on to the glorious truth, the only truth that could sustain at such a moment, that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. And from there, we come to the second half of the story. Uh, in the second half, we actually have the miracle being performed. So Jesus uh, comes to the tomb. He tells Martha, to, to, well, he says, take away the stone. And Martha reminds him that Lazarus is really smelly because he's very dead. Jesus challenges her unbelief. And then he, he approaches Lazarus. He cries out with a loud voice that was so well demonstrated in the kids' video, Lazarus, come out. In some miracles that we've looked at, um, Jesus uses something physical to perform the healing. Um, so last week he made the paste out of mud and saliva and rubbed it on the blind person's eyes. 
here it is, just three words. Three words from Jesus to raise somebody from the dead. By the breath of Jesus comes life. By the breath of God comes life. By the word of Jesus comes life. And so if these signs are to point us towards Jesus Christ being the Son of God, then for us and for those who witnessed this firsthand, this points us right back to the story of creation in Genesis 2. One of the things we hold most dearly about God is that he is the creator of the universe, of all things, of us. And in that creation, in Genesis 2, God breathes life into Adam's nostrils. Adam, who had nothing living about him, receives life from the very breath of God. And earlier in John, we hear the words that from Jesus are the We hear Peter say that Jesus has the words of eternal life. Life is given to dead people by the word of Jesus. Now the Bible talks about death more than physical death. The Bible is so explicit, uh, in the New Testament especially, about calling us, before becoming a Christian, calling us dead in sin. In Ephesians, Paul writes, you were once dead in your transgressions and sins. He writes again in Romans, you were dead in sin. For those who don't trust in Jesus, we are dead in sin. Sin that we love, sin that holds us captive, sin that completely separates us from God, sin that from birth we have walked in, completely dead in that. And dead people can do absolutely nothing to raise themselves. Lazarus didn't, when he was dead, he didn't run out to approach Jesus and say, can you heal me? But rather, Jesus came and sought Lazarus out and called him out of death and into life. And we trust in the glorious news that Jesus still does that today. And this room, this church, the people in it is a testament to that. That we did not come to faith in Jesus because we sought him out because we were holy enough or smart enough to do that. But we come to faith in Jesus because Jesus has called us to leave our sin behind. To come and to worship him. And even then, in hearing that call, that call is not a call to perform better, to to make sure that you are a good enough living person to become a Christian or to stay a Christian. That call to come out of sin is on the basis that Jesus has defeated that sin. That Jesus, the one who is life, secured our salvation by going from life to death. 
for taking that punishment that we all warranted for our sin. And what's more, three days later, to rise again. From this passage, we get confidence that Jesus is the resurrection, but we get the most confidence, the most assured hope from the fact that after dying, Jesus rose again from the dead. That truly there we can see that death is defeated. Sin is defeated. And so by speaking to us, Jesus Christ makes us alive. And going on from there, Jesus keeps us alive. Uh, Some of his words in Matthew. uh, He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. We are We are made alive by Jesus and we are kept alive by Jesus, by him speaking to us. And so we hear from him as we study his words, as we hear sermons preached, as we pray together, as we read his word at home in our families or by ourselves, as we come to church and gather together to encourage one another. We are sustained and kept alive by his word. Uh, To lean on on what Jesus was saying about uh, not living by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. There are a lot of meals that I've had in my life, obviously. And a lot of those I didn't have strong feelings about. So whenever I cook, whenever it's me who puts the food in the microwave... It's never that amazing. I don't come away from eating that with great joy. But I know that those meals have kept me alive. 99 plus percent of the meals that I've eaten, I've forgotten about. Uh, There are are some meals that um, stay in the memory that are extra special. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I I went to visit uh, one of my friend's families. Uh, And they love steak, and so I got steak, and it was glorious. And it brought much joy, and I remember that for now. And that, too, kept me alive. As we go through the Christian life, there will be seasons that may be days, weeks, months, or years that coming to church, that reading our Bible is at best forgettable, sometimes a complete bore. Sometimes we we feel like we get nothing out of it. It's confusing. But those times keep us alive. As we persevere in hearing from God, we are kept alive and sustained by Jesus. And there will be times of special joy in that, where we feel uh, closer to Jesus, we feel that he is speaking right to us, that that word that we receive is exactly what we need. And those two, they sustain us, they keep us alive. And the final thing from this passage Uh, And if we just read those two passages, we might have missed it. Uh, If you read the whole thing, it's easier to see. But Lazarus is called by name ten times. 
But the only people who call Lazarus by name are Jesus and John the narrator. None of the other characters call him by name, the messenger, the disciples, Mary or Martha or any of the other Jews. Obviously they they knew his name and they loved him. But their primary thoughts towards Lazarus are that this is a dead person. And that if his soul is departed from him, then really that's where Lazarus is. They saw his deadness and that's how they saw him most. I wonder how or what titles people have given you or that you would give yourself over the years that you really don't like, that signify sin or brokenness. Where people see your identity primarily as an addict or as somebody um, who, with huge mental health issues, or as somebody uh, who is a bad parent, or as somebody who is lazy, or as somebody who can just never get it together. We, we hear labels so often from the world and from ourselves. But Jesus Christ does not call us by those things. He knows your scars and struggles that we sung about. He knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. And in calling you by your name, he calls you to come to him, to come out of death and come to full life in him. He calls you by name to come and believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, And that if you believe in him, you will have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that we hope in a specific person, that we hope in Jesus. We do not have to base our hopes on ourselves on chance, on some vague ideas, but we place our hope for life after death in you. Lord, would we heed that call to come out of our sin and trust in you, to receive the gift of life in your name. And Lord, would we persevere in hearing your words. Lord, thank you that it gives us life. Thank you that it keeps us alive. Lord, would we walk in that? Amen.